your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 21. Jeremiah chapter 21. The subject this evening is Jerusalem's doom is sealed. Jerusalem's doom is sealed. Chapters 21 through chapter 29 contain the prophecies delivered during the king the reign of king Jedekiah Zedekiah who was the last king of Judah and this will bring us right down to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity there isn't a harsher message than the one Jeremiah gives beginning here in chapter 21 through chapter 22 Jeremiah writes here about the kingdom of Judah as he describes one king after another leaving the scene and marching off to shameful judgment. And during the great days of David and Hezekiah and Josiah, the nation had honored the Lord. But now Judah was moving full speed ahead toward defeat and disgrace. And in these key chapters, 21 through 24, Jeremiah delivered important messages to the leaders and to the people. And here in chapter 21, God is opposing the leaders of Judah. So let's begin with chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. And the word says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, when King Zedekiah sent to him Pashur, the son of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, saying, Please inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. And perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works that the king, that is Nebuchadnezzar, may go away from us. Now, when King Zedekiah here got into serious trouble and he couldn't see his way out, that is, he couldn't see any deliverance, and he had no idea as to what to do, he goes to the man that he knew was giving the word of God. He didn't ask Peshur or Zephaniah or anyone from this crowd or his crowd, his social circle. He didn't look for, he didn't look for man's help or man's idols. And that's because when you're in trouble, nothing is going to satisfy you. But the word of God. Nothing is going to satisfy you. But going to God. And I remember a, a young man that I used to work with. And he was very energetic, very go-getter. And he was just doing all he could to, to be promoted. And just he, he just said, whatever it takes, he was going to do. You know, him and I did not get along real well uh, i shared the lord with him and he wasn't interested and you know i you know it was just you know we, we worked together but again because i was a believer and he wasn't he had obviously different ideas and um wasn't interested but about a year later or so um when his marriage began to fall apart and there was a had a really bad weekend um he came in on Monday and he said, Joe, can I talk to you? Never really wanted to talk about God before. But when his life tumbled in on him and it all fell apart, he wanted to talk with me. 
And I just flat out told him, I said, you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he said, okay. I pulled down the shade in my office, and we prayed right there. He accepted the Lord. And that guy, last time I saw him, you know, before I quit, he was still walking with God. And God had changed his life, and it was just, it was so neat. But again, it, this is what it reminded me of. You know, people don't want God. They don't want to hear about God until they have a serious trial. Because they know that God's the only one that's going to be able to take care of their need. Pashur here now is mentioned, and we had a, a Pashur in, in chapter 20. But this Pashur is different from the Pashur in chapter 20. This is the one in chapter 20 was Pashur, the son of Emer. And this one in here, chapter 1, is Pashur, the son of Melchiah. Now, Pashur here in chapter 21 comes to Jeremiah looking for help. God still had work for Jeremiah to do. In living out our faith and in our service to, to, to the Lord, we may experience rejection, disappointment, and hard work that drives us to the point of, of, of hopelessness. But we're still needed. God has important work for us to do. And these events here probably took place in the year 588 when the invincible Babylonian army was camped around the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Hoping to be assured of getting some help from Egypt, the weak king, Zedekiah, had rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar because, by refusing to pay tribute to him. And as a result, now Judah was suffering the terrible consequences of King Zedekiah's foolish decision. Now Zedekiah is sweating bullets, and he goes to Jeremiah for help by sending Zephaniah the priest and Peshur, who was one of the court officials. They went there... Zedekiah sends in there to see if Jeremiah could get guidance, you know, from the Lord. King Zedekiah was hoping that Jehovah would do something miraculous to deliver Jerusalem like he had done in the days of the godly king Hezekiah. But Jeremiah responded to Zedekiah with the worst news possible. And Jeremiah lays it out to him. He really lays it on the line with these two guys, Peshur and Zephaniah. And he sends it back to King Zedekiah with the message. This is why Jeremiah wasn't so popular with the king or with the people. Because Jeremiah told him the truth. In Galatians 4.16, Paul said to the Galatians, have I, therefore, have I therefore become your enemy because I have told you the truth? You see, a true friend will rebuke his erring brother. And if the erring brother has any sense at all, he will thank his friend. We're telling him the truth. You see, in the world, the truth in, in the world, truth produces hatred. And whoever speaks the truth, man, is counted as an enemy. That's why Jesus was crucified, because he spoke the truth about sinful man. But among, among friends, it, it shouldn't be so, much less among Christians. Paul wanted the Galatians to know that, Jesus, that, that just because he had told them the truth, that, that they're not to think that he dislikes them. He's telling the Galatians, I told you the truth because I love you. And that's why we should tell the truth you know, to those who are erring, who are you know, walking <clears throat> down the wrong path in life. Verses 3 through 7. Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Notice, behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, 
with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans, who besiege you outside the walls, and I will assemble them in the midst of this city. My, I myself will fight against you with an outstretched arm and with a strong arm. Uh, I'm sorry, an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in the anger and fury and great wrath. He says, I will strike the, inha- strike the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. And afterward, says, he, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants and the people, and such as are left in this city from the pestilence and the sword and the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. And he shall strike them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare them or have pity or mercy. So first in Jeremiah's message sent back to Zedekiah through Pashur and Zephaniah, he gives first the bad message or the, the, the bad news about King Zedekiah himself before he talks about the judgment that was coming. He talks about what was going to happen to King Zedekiah. Not only would God refuse to deliver the city from the enemy, but he would also fight with the enemy, for the enemy, helping the enemy to defeat Jerusalem. Judah's military wouldn't be able to do anything against the Babylonian army and the Chaldean army. They're both the same, Chaldea and Babylonia. Whereas in the past, God's mighty outstretched arm and strong hand had worked for his people. But now God was going to work against them because the nation had turned against God. The psalmist said in Psalm 18, 25 through 26, With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you shall sh- uh, show yourself pure. And with the devious, you shall so, show, uh, show yourself shrewd. It sounds kind of strange to hear these words about the Lord in verse 5, about his anger, his fury, and his great wrath. You know, it describes his temperament towards his own people. And yet these words <clears throat> were a part of his covenant that he made with the people. And the nation knew the terms of the covenant. What would happen if they broke the terms of the covenant? God had warned the Jews over and over again that their disobedience would make him angry and force his hand to bring judgment to the land and upon themselves. But the leaders wouldn't listen. They chose to place their confidence in dead idols rather than than in the living God and in politics based primarily on the use of power, like their military or their economy, rather than based on the simple, uh, simple faith in God's word. The, prophet, <clears throat> the prophecy is that King Zedekiah is to be taken as a captive. And these people that had survived the siege, they'd be ca- uh, taken as captive. Now, under the siege, there will be those that will die from famine, diseases, and the sword. Because whenever the cities were cut off, During the war, whenever they were surrounded, the water supplies would be shut off. They'd run low. And with a shortage of food, there there would be cholera and all kinds of disease and pestilence. So many people would die from the pestilence while the city was under siege. Those who are left will be taken as captives by King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Zedekiah and his officers would be handed over to King Nebuchadnezzar and they would be judged. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. What was prophesied by Jeremiah actually happened. The siege started January 15th, 588, and it ended July 18th, 
586, a period of a little over 30 months. After Zedekiah and his sons and his nobles were taken captive, King Zedekiah's sons were killed right in front of King Zedekiah. And then they gouged out King Zedekiah's eyes. So the last thing that King Zedekiah saw were his two sons killed in front of him. And then Zedekiah was taken to Babylon where he died. Verses 8 through 10. Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans or the Babylonians who besiege you, he shall live and his life shall be as a prize to him. For I have set my face against this city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. And it shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Here Jeremiah gives the people now the bad news. First he gave King Zedekiah the bad news about himself, and now Jeremiah gives the people the bad news. There was no hope for King Zedekiah. But the Lord did offer hope to the people. That is, if they would surrender to King Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah knew that the end of the nation had already been decided by God. And there wasn't a thing that Jeremiah or anybody else could do about it. But he does have a word for the people. And he offers them, he offers them two ways that they could go. And God set before them two ways. He says, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. It's a choice that must, be, that, that, that must have reminded them of the words of the covenant in Deuteronomy 30, 15, when God says, See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. Verse 8 here teaches that Jer- Jeremiah's two ways are symbolic of the choices that men are constantly required to make in life. There are always two courses of action available to every person. One way is a representation of faith and dependence on an eternal God, and it leads to life. The other is a a representation of trust in man's wisdom and ability to to direct his own life, and that leads to death. The way of life requires faith to believe that God's word is true, even when it's contrary to all of our human senses. Even when it's contrary to reason and desire, you bet your life on God always. And then the way of death risks everything on what is humanly reasonable and appropriate. You know, whatever you feel is right, whatever you think is the best thing to do, you bet your life on man. And with God, we have to make a decision one way or the other. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? Are you going to choose to trust in God by faith or are you going to trust to, uh, to, to, uh, in man or in yourself and, and walk by sight? With God, I said, we have to make a decision one way or the other. The psalmist said in Psalm 1-1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. There is no neutral ground with Jesus. You know, you can't say, well, you know, I'm I'm just going to stand neutral. You can't. It's impossible. It's impossible to stay neutral. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13 and 14. 
He said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and therefore few find it. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Very clear. So needless to say, to surrender to the enemy was an act of treason, and Jeremiah eventually got into trouble for encouraging this plan later on in Jeremiah. So this verse has to be considered very important when it comes to preaching God's, God's message. God told Jeremiah here in verse 8, You shall say to this people. These people had shown a lot of disrespect for God's word. They were unreceptive. And they were hostile to God's servants. But God's messengers have to preach God's message no matter what the attitudes of the people are. And it will take a lot of courage to preach God's message. You shall say, these words here, in verse 8 it says, you shall say, it means God's message isn't optional. You will say what I tell you to God is saying. This message is not a suggestion. It's not a polite a request. It's not something to think about. God's servants are to preach what God says to preach. To preach something else is to disobey the command of God. Now, some servants make the mistake of preaching only what's acceptable to who they're talking to. But that's not God's command. They're commanded to preach His message no matter what. And then the word you... Speaking to Jeremiah, speaks of the one communicating the message. Again, you, Jeremiah, you, speak what I tell you to speak. Jeremiah is called again to be the spokesman for God. Jeremiah is the one that God has called to preach his message. Jeremiah, we already read, he'd already been rejected by men. He'd been persecuted by men, and yet God is still using him. You see, it's not what men think of you that determines God's call, but it's what God thinks of you. You don't need to be popular. You don't need to be successful. You don't need to be accepted by this world to be called into the ministry. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 29, Paul said this in the New Living Translation. He said, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those things who think, those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Again, in verse 8 here. Jeremiah says, Behold, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. Even though this verse refers mainly to the situation that's going on right now here in Jerusalem in this chapter, just before its fall, in principle, the contents here of the message, it speaks of the gospel message. The message that preachers are to preach shows the way of life, which is Christ, and it warns of the way of death, which is sin. There are only two ways, life or death. And you have to choose one. Back in the Garden of Eden, God set before Adam and Eve the way of life and the way of death. There are a lot of trees in the garden. 
Of all the trees of the garden, they were allowed to eat freely. Of all the trees in the garden, he said, you may eat freely except the trees in the midst of the garden. And we know exactly the two trees that were pointed out specifically. There was a tree in the midst of the garden which held the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat from that tree or they would die. You could say in a way that 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 tree was poisonous, spiritually speaking. You know, spiritually poisoning them, breaking their fellowship with God. Physically, it it may have introduced a a bacteria into the body that would be harmful and causing mutations of cells and, and the aging process. And in the end, it brought man to a physical death. When Adam ate of that tree, there was another tree in the garden. It was called the tree of life. But God put the angel in front of the entrance to the garden to protect the garden just in case Adam might decide to come back and eat of that tree of life and live forever in that sinful state. Two trees. One the tree of life, the other the tree of death. God set before them life and death. So why in the world... Do you think that Adam ate of the tree of, the death, uh, of death and not the tree of life? Poor choice. A poor choice. But again, before we start coming down, uh, coming down hard on Adam for his dumb choice, we have to recognize today that God is still giving us that choice of life and death, or life or death. Life in Jesus Christ is your choice. It's your choice. Nobody can choose it for you. You have to make that choice. You can choose to live for Jesus. You can choose to live forever, to have eternal life. You can receive Christ as your Savior and your sins will be forgiven and you can receive eternal life. Or you can choose to reject Jesus and choose to live on in your own sin. And the wages of your sin is death. So man today is given the same offer, eternal life in Christ or death in your sins. You you can continue on in the path of sin, you know, living after your own flesh, your own desires, your own lust, but you're going to die. You're going to die the spiritual death. But man has the choice. And yet men are still choosing death today over life. You know, it's just, it's hard to imagine or think of one good reason why anyone would choose death over life. And yet, men do it every day. God offers man and says, look, here's the path to life. And here's the path to death. Adam chose the path of death. And many have followed and are following after and have followed after Adam ever since. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or the way of life. The way to life. And you can't come to the Father but by me. Paul said, it's the God of this age that has blinded those who do not believe. That's why it's so important to pray for them. That the Holy Spirit will will open their eyes. That, you know, will give them that ability to see for a moment the truth. That they might make the right decision. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God cried to the people, telling them, choose life. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 33, 11. God is urging people to choose life. 
But you have to make that choice. And you know what? God will not go against your free will. God will not force you into the kingdom of God. He will not force you to have eternal life. You must make that choice. You know, he, he will not go against that free will choice that he's given you and force you against your will. So you can choose, you can choose to die in your sins, you know, if that's what you want to do. And you can choose to continue to live in sin and die in sin, and God will allow you to make that choice. But he also offers you the choice of life. And right here, what God is doing, he's now offering to the city of Jerusalem life or death. He says, if you stay here and you fight, you'll be killed. Because you're fighting against me. Because again, remember he said that the, the Babylonian army is going to come and God's going to fight with the Babylonian army against his people. It's the judgments God have brought against them. So if you fight, you know, if you stay and fight, they're actually fighting against God. And he says, you're gonna, you can't win that fight. If you stay here and fight, you'll be killed because basically you're fighting against me. But if you go ahead and surrender to the Babylons, which was God's judgment, he says, you'll live. You'll be taken prisoner, but you'll live. So I set before you today life or death. And then the phrase in verse 9, uh, his life shall be as a prize to him. This means that the Babylonians would treat the deserters like spoils of war. And the Jews, after losing everything in the siege, would be happy to escape with their lives. Jeremiah knew that the end of the nation was already decided by God. It's done. Their, 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 their doom was sealed. There wasn't a thing that they could do about it. But he does have a word for the people. Since King Nebuchadnezzar was the instrument God was using to do his work in punishing the kingdom of Judah, and because God was partnered with the Babylonians in fighting G uh, Judah, if they would surrender to the Babylonians, it really meant surrender to the will of God. Though it was judgment, they were surrendering to the will of God because he was bringing the judgment. It meant to confess their guilt and submit to the hand of the Lord. You see, rebellion against the Babylonians was really a, a rebellion against the Lord. And that was the way of death. And God's people, as God's people, we need to realize that the only safe and wise response to God's chastening hand is submission. Submitting to the will of God. In he Hebrews chapter 12, 9, it says, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? In other words, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of spirits and live forever? What the question is suggesting is that we might not live if we don't submit to the will of God. King Zedekiah didn't follow through. He didn't listen to the offer that God gave him. He was a weakling and he was the worst of kings. He, he doesn't turn to God at all. I mean, his thought process was evidently something like this. And, he's, and he said it. He said, well, well, look, God didn't let Nebuchadnezzar destroy this city when Jehoiachin was on the throne. And he was just about as bad as I am. 
So why should God do anything now? Again, a dangerous way of, of thinking. Verses 11 through 14. <clears throat> and concerning the house of the king of Judah, say this. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of David. Thus says the Lord. Execute judgment in the morning and deliver him who was plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Lest my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your thoughts. Behold, I am against you, O inhabitant of the valley and rock of the plain, says the Lord, who say who shall come down against us or who shall enter into our dwellings. But I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings, says the Lord. I will kindle a fire in its forest and it shall devour all things around it. Here Jeremiah now gives the bad news to the house of David. Here the Lord speaks to, uh, to David's dynasty, to his family, the kings who sat on the throne because of God's covenant with David. He says, if they obeyed God's law and carried out justice in the land, God would keep his promise and preserve David's royal family. But if they disobeyed, the kings would lose their rights to the throne. And once again, God was simply reminding them of the conditions of the covenant that he made with them, urging them to obey his word, to keep the covenant that he made with them. The people of Jerusalem were so convinced that their city was invincible that that they didn't need to worry. They didn't need to be afraid. You know, surrounded on three sides of valleys, you know, they felt protected. Hinnom was on the south and the the west and, and the Kidron Valley was on the east. You see, the city only had to defend itself on the north side. Those living in Jerusalem saw themselves sitting in a really good place. We're surrounded by valleys on each side. We only have to worry about protecting ourselves on one place. You know, if they felt like they were sitting on on solid ground. They felt like they were safe and secure on this rocky plateau. But God would soon overthrow them and cause them to lose their crown. The Babylonian army did set fire to the city. So God did kindle a fire in its forest, according to what he said in verse 14. And the phrase, the forest, it probably refers to the structures in the city, especially to the king's palace, which it says in 1 Kings 7, 2, the house of the forest of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon were used to build various kinds of buildings in the city. So this chapter started with a king's cry for help. Zedekiah went to God looking for help. And how does it end? With Jeremiah's announcement of doom. The city's leaders had denied and mocked Jeremiah's message. They had gone too far. Now they're desperate. And in desperation, King Zedekiah goes to God. He turns to God for help. But he does it without acknowledging God's warnings or admitting his sin. And how many times do we, or our people, go to God for help, yet... They don't acknowledge, yes, Lord, I've blown it. Yes, I've committed my sin. Yes, Lord, I, 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 you know, I heard your warnings, but I disregarded them. And, and you know, I'm, I'm confessing it to you now. And I, but I'm asking you to help me. Zedekiah went to God without acknowledging, hey, yeah, I heard your warnings and I blew it or, or admitting his son. He just says, help me. 
Too many times we expect God to help us when we're in trouble, even though we've ignored his warnings. And, 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 and when, we're, when things are going well, we, we, we forget about God. Everything is going well, you know, and, and I, I don't need God. And, oh, but when things turn around, well, we run to God. But God wants a lasting relationship with us. He doesn't want a relationship that's off and on. He doesn't want to be your genie in a bottle. That when you get in trouble, oh, I better go to church. I better read my Bible. I better pray. I, you know, I better go find God. He doesn't want to be your fire escape. Are you trying to build a lasting relationship with God? Or is he just a convenient, you know, just a convenience where you just use him in order to get out of trouble. I mean, what would you think of your family or friends if they just, if they just thought of you as a, as a temporary resource? You know, only talked to you or, or called you whenever they needed something. And many times that's how people deal with God. I haven't talked to him for a while. I haven't fellowship with God, but you know what? I, I need him now. So I think I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give him a call. I want to meet with you, Lord. I want to talk with you. I got this problem, God. And yet I haven't acknowledged him. I haven't had fellowship with him. But I need him now in my time of desperation. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. Father, we thank you. Lord, that you have given us, you have set before us the way of life and the way of death, God. Help us, Lord, to choose that, that way of life, God. There is no other way, Father. The way of death is exactly what it is. It ends in death. There's no hope. There's no future in it, God. But, Lord, you are our hope. You give us a future and a hope, God. So, Lord, may we look to you. May we take that, that, that path of life, God. May we not look to, look to the left or to the right. May we not uh, take any detours, Father. But as Jesus said, may we stay on that narrow path, that way of life, God, that leads to heaven. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.